Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Elsa, and you're listening to the New States Room podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Ben Walker, a data journalist at the New Statesman and poll watcher extraordinaire, to talk through what polls can and can't show on, what the parties are doing with wounds. And you ask us, what's in the methodology that means some polls are more encouraging to certain parties than others? And what sort of numbers do we need to be looking for in voting intention polls to get a result that would not result in a conservative majority? delighted to be joined today by a regular guest on on the New Statesman podcasts, our data journalist and um, polling guru, Ben Walker, who's also the founder of Britain Elects, which is the UK's largest poll aggregator. Ben, welcome back to the New Statesman podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I look forward to alienating half of Twitter in the next few minutes. So Ben, maybe before we get into the current standing of the various political parties. I was wondering, could you run us through what polls can tell us and then maybe crucially what they can't tell us? Key to polling is they should always be remembered firstly as a science because they're always giving you, if, if they, you see a poll and it's like conservative 36%, Labour 35%, always remember that it's like it has a margin of error. Every poll has a margin of error. So the real actual result could be within that margin. So conservative 36%, that could mean they could be between 39 and 33%, maybe, theoretically. But always remember as well that polling is a snapshot, not a prediction. It's a snapshot of the here and now, of the impulse feeling, not a prediction of what people are going to do in a few years' time. So when you have polls, hypothetical polling, I used to commission some surveys which asked you, like, how would you vote if, you know, uh, the uh, stuff to do with Brexit deals? And I used to do that in 2019. And hypothetical polling did get a bit, you know, torn to shreds, quite rightly. I, I didn't know back then. Trying to predict people's behavior isn't always a successful thing to come from polling. It's like an impulse decision. How would you vote if an election was held today? As, as Lord Ashcroft says, as, as I just said earlier, it's a snapshot, not a prediction. It's the here and now impulse feeling, what people feel right now. So we're recording on the morning of Friday, the 5th of November. So very much in the wake of the Owen Patterson. And I know that listeners will be listening to this a few days after we record, but if we take that as an example, Ben, 
And so you got poll this morning in the time. I feel like we've gone after the Patterson vote. And as the Conservatives on 36, so down three points, and Labour up two on 35, people will interpret this as the Tory lead slashed in the wake of the Owen Patterson scandal, for want of a better phrase. Is that a helpful way of even looking at it? If, if there is this margin of error, as you say, is that in, indicative of anything meaningful as a poll, just a standalone one? When you see these numbers, key thing to remember is they're representative of only the people who are declaring they will vote, okay? You see the numbers, Labour are up to, the Reform Party are up, I think, two or three, the Lib Dems, I think, are up one. I can't remember. This is not necessarily Labour advancing. It's not necessarily Labour netting new support or anything of the sort. What is happening in this particular poll, what's happened in almost every poll for the past year and a bit that have shown the Tories falling behind or even the Tories falling below Labour is... Tory supporters, those that voted Conservative in 2019, now say, I'm not going to vote. They're not interested. They're sort of peeved off, basically, and they don't know where to go. So they're registering to pollsters, mm. not that they're voting Labour, mm. but that they're voting, they're not voting. They're declaring, don't know, they're leaving the pile of people who are voting. And that's why the share of the vote is falling a bit. Interestingly, in that you love poll. Among Conservative 2019 voters, 22% now say that they don't know. So that is actually quite a big trend. Absolutely. It, it, it's huge. But you look at the Labour figure as well. I, I can't recall, but it's not not too far away from that. The difference is that Conservative 2019 voters, most of them are going from con to don't know. Labour 2019 voters are going from, well, a lot of them are sticking with Labour. Probably just as many as our Tory voters stick with the Tories. But a good number of them, about 11%, if you exclude don't knows, they're going green. And you have, it, it reminds me a lot of the, the UKIP years when UKIP was hanging around between 2011 and 2015, when every other poll had about 10 and sometimes 20% of Tory voters from 2010 going UKIP. And that got squeezed come election day, didn't it? So is maybe the most helpful lesson from polling at the moment that some of the Labour base is alienated or unmotivated. And then by the same token, some recent Conservative voters, like large numbers of people who voted Conservative in 2019, a significant chunk of them, especially first time Tory voters from 2019, are now saying that they don't know. Is that the most important lesson to take from the polling landscape more widely? Right now, the Owen Patterson scandal has seen confidence amongst the Tory base fall. Is not seeing support amongst the Labour. It's not seeing new support added to Labour. It's just seeing a collapsing confidence for the Tory party. That isn't particularly serious, or I would say it wouldn't send alarm bells ringing or shouldn't send alarm bells ringing in Tory party HQ because more often than not, they always come back come election time. It, in the Blair and Brown years, it was really just the Blair years. A lot of Labour's base lost enthusiasm come local elections midway through a parliament, become the general election, they always came back. I suspect because at this moment in time, the Labour Party and other parties are just not appealing to these types of Tory voters losing enthusiasm. These types of voters will either stay at home or they will more likely than not just come back come a general election. But that is dependent on whether Labour can be appealing to these types of voters. For di disproportionately leave, disproportionately of an older bent and disproportionately Midlands and Northern.
And Ben, are there any other things, not just from this UGov poll that I mentioned, but just the polling trends that we've been seeing um, over the past few months? Are there any other things that are important to keep an eye on, perhaps the, the performance of the Liberal Democrats and the Greens? So we have had in recent weeks, Redfield and Wilton, who are uh, new kids on the block in terms of the polling community, they've done this, some, this really interesting feature, which is they track the most watched news stories and they do a decent word cloud of it. And we've noticed the environment and all things to do with, you know, sewage and now cop. I've just began to take uh, a greater position in the limelight. And it's not just noticed to those of us on Twitter. It's noticed as well by a lot of voters as well. And you're beginning to see that have a small but, but noticeable impact on the polls. So the Greens, like a few weeks ago, they were sitting solidly fourth, if you exclude a regional parties at 6%. Now they're getting closer to almost 8%. That's probably the highest we've seen them at since before the 2019 election. The Lib Dems, meanwhile, they're on, you know, 9%. It's really only one percentage point difference between the two. Lib Dems are just static. They haven't really gained or lost anything. As we saw in the local elections, they gained and lost next to no council seats in terms of net net figures, of course. So at the moment in time, the Greens are slightly netting support. A lot of that does come from former Labour voters who are disaffected with the party. Mm -hmm. And that is something to perhaps keep watching out for. Where are these Labour voters that are going green? Are they going in safe Labour seats? If you look at local election results, it's a lot of green gains are coming from safe Labour seats. And a lot of them are also coming in safe Tory shires. But I want you to imagine in safe Tory shires, that Labour vote that used to exist there is now coalescing around the Greens. Because you take Suffolk, for example. Suffolk used to be solidly Tory. Now the Greens in one of the council areas there is the official opposition. And part of that is down to a lot of those Labour votes that are just kind of investing around the Greens. So another question I'm very interested in your opinion on, Ben, is whether, firstly, whether polling matters really at all outside of election time. Um, And then secondly, whether, I know if Stephen were here and not on holiday, he would be dying to get into a conversation about about sort of parties' polling performances versus the net approval ratings of the leaders. So I'm wondering which one you think is a more valuable indicator of how, of how the parties are doing. Ooh. When did Britain become presidential in terms of its outlook? It was, I don't know, it started with James Callaghan, allegedly, didn't it? It was, it was at that time when, when uh, polling started to, you know, he began to grab the mantle of prime minister and present himself as the prime minister as opposed to the Labour Party, but it didn't go that well. What's really interesting about what we can now probably call the Johnson years is that polling follows Boris Johnson and it it trends him very well. So when Labour was ahead in the polls, Keir Starmer was ahead on who would be best prime minister. Now Boris Johnson is ahead on who would be best prime minister. The Tories are just as ahead by, by almost just as much as well. But actually to tell you the truth, not really. So just follow me here. I hope I am making sense. Boris Johnson at the moment is the preferred choice for prime minister by 39% of voters. Keir Starmer is the preferred choice of prime minister, preferred prep and uh, preferred prime minister for 30% of voters. At the same time, the Tories have a lead of four percentage points. Uh, rewind back to November uh, or December last year, and you have Keir Starmer, Boris Johnson level pegging, and you have the Tory and Labour parties also level pegging. We haven't really seen anything like this before in terms of 
preference for Prime Minister matching up with Westminster voting intention. In 2010 to 2015, you had the Labour Party ahead in most polls, sometimes as far ahead as 10 points, never 20 points, but 10 points normally. And at the same time, the public's preference for Prime Minister was almost never Ed Miliband. He never really led on who the public wanted as Prime Minister. It's fascinating. Yeah, and then also, Ben, do you think that it is valuable to pay attention to polls outside of election time? I know that Miliband gave an interview recently where he talked about how Labour could very easily find itself in a state of complacency seeing Conservative support collapse, just as we were describing, but it does look as though Conservative support has to an extent collapsed, at least for now. The Labour can look at that and see that there, um, the Conservative leader for Labour has narrowed, take comfort from that, and then come election time, find that the focus is on them and they haven't really been converting voters in the way that they hoped for. Is it useful to be paying much attention to the polls outside of an election when in a way there isn't actually much attention on the opposition. That, that, that's an entirely fair point. But if I said yes, I'd probably be out of a job because this, this is my entire being. This is my entire reason. <laughs> so, so, so I'm probably going to, what can I say really here? I would say, yes, it is important to pay attention to polls outside of election time because it tells you the impulse feeling. First impressions matter. Okay. Take, for example, Keir Starmer. He had good first impressions. He's lost more people dislike him than, but key to this is his net favourability, it's far better than Ed Miliband or Jeremy Cole. Now that's not saying much, is it? When you have both of them lost elections, but that he's doing better than them. He's sort of unpopular, as is every politician in the UK. Every politician trends downward once they uh, hit it off with the public, but he's doing it far less. He's not turning off voters as much as Miliband or Corbyn did all those years ago. I, I, I still think polling has value in times like these, even though attention paid to the opposition isn't as great. If, if you have messaging that hits midway through parliament by the opposition, that's a sign that the opposition is being ever so slightly, it's got an effective message. Take, for example, cost of living. We all, we all remember cost of living crisis, that, that quit by the Labour Party in 2010 to 15. But what happened then is that voters prioritised it as well. They were able to differentiate between macro management of the economy by the government and the micro issues such as cost of living, such as housing, such as bills. And midway through parliament, voters, they were prioritizing the second one, the micro issues, the, the cost of living, and were saying voting labor as a consequence. But when it came to election time, general election time, they went macro. They went back to the budget. They went back to the debt. They went back to deficit. It's sort of an indication as to where votes could go. They haven't always gone that way, as 20 to 10 to 2015 showed. But yeah, I would, I would say still pay attention to polls, even though, as, as you quite rightly say, attention paid to the opposition isn't as high. I hope that makes sense. I hope I answered some that actual question there. Oh, no, that's a, that's, a, that's a very good answer. If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to The New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12. Go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Night time for a section we like to call You Ask Us. Or more specifically, you ask Ben. I'll be putting some of your very, very astute questions to, to Ben while we have him with us. It's also worth saying that I'm delighted that we'll be having Ben on the podcast every month from now on to give us an updating on what the polling is showing us. So if you do have questions related to the polls, do send them in and we'll put them to Ben. So first question I thought we could do, Ben, was got a question about methodology. And basically, what is it that this question has mentioned to YouGov in particular, but in general, what is it about certain methodologies that seem to be more favorable to some parties than others? YouGov, the polling tends to be more encouraging for the conservatives. But in general, what is it about that methodology that produces those kinds of trends? So it can probably sometimes, but not always, come down to two things. And it depends on who you prompt, the parties you prompt for, and it depends on how hard you squeeze the people saying, I don't know who I'm going to vote for. I think YouGov, I think YouGov have a tendency to prompt for the Green Party, for example. So when you get your question online, it is, who will you vote for if an election was held tomorrow? It'll be Conservative, Labour, Liberal Democrat, SNP or Plaid Cymru, if you're in Scotland or Wales, respectively and maybe some smaller parties. So there's always a bigger deal many years ago about prompting for the Greens and UKIP. And there was a bit of a study which sort of showed the effects. If you prompt for a party, if you add a party in that opening question, it bumps them up by actually not much, by about a point or two. But that actually is quite key because you see by a point or two, that's Labour down a point or two, normally with the Greens, okay? So prompting could be one thing. Another thing with uh, YouGov's methodology, because they tend to see results that are slightly more quite wide ranging, because they're the only pollster in the past few months to give a Labour lead of two points, and they're only pollster at present to give a Tory lead of one point. They are quite wide ranging, but last month they gave them 10 points, which was the highest out of all pollsters out there. Okay. And another reason that could explain this is how hard do they squeeze undecided voters? Voters who say, I'm not sure who I'll vote for. I voted Tory in 2019 or I voted Labour in 2019. I don't know who I'll vote for this time. Often a pollster asks you a run-up question, which is, okay, go on then. But what if it was legal? What if it was mandatory to vote? What if it was mandatory? What if you were in a tight election? And if your vote mattered more, how would you vote? And normally that, that chunk of the undecided gets squeezed just a little bit. It does vary by pollster. It does vary by pollster how they do it. But these are some of the two main things that, that most pollsters often do. It's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? And I, I have a, a second question for you now, which is what sort of numbers do we need to be looking for in voting intention polls to get a result that would not result in a conservative majority? This questioner has said that it would be good to hear an answer, including all of the major GB and NI parties 
rather than just labour needs X, if possible. Although I actually think that maybe polling from Northern Ireland is so different that maybe we should leave that bit of it to another time. Northern Ireland get, gets the odd poll. Credit where it's due, Lucid Talk posters uh, do regular polling and I think they're the only guys who attempt it. But yeah, it's very few and far between to poll Northern Ireland. But to answer the question, which is, what will it take? What, do, what sort of numbers do we need to get a hung parliament? To tell you the truth, numbers right about now. The numbers you're seeing right about now are hit and miss as to whether we get a hung parliament. Just to brief them, at the moment, the Conservatives have about 39% of the projected vote, according to all our poll trackers with the new statesman and Britain elects. Okay, that's down, I think, four or five points on 2019. You have the Labour Party up two points on 2019, they're around about 35%. And that is just about enough to give a hung parliament. And this is why I can probably promote one of my own uh, projects with myself, Josh Raymond and Michael Goodyear, which is Britain predicts on the New Statesman. If you want to see how, uh, how many votes it will need to get a hung parliament, or you want to key in your own numbers, or you just want to see what the polls are showing right now, Google Britain predicts, not Britain elects, Britain predicts, and you'll get the New Statesman article there where you'll be able to have a look at it. Cause it just shows you at the moment, cause at the moment, the current numbers give it basically almost a hung parliament. Right now, though, it's con majority of four, but I would say that's just almost close enough. What to watch out for to get a hung parliament is not necessarily just national numbers, though. Another thing to keep an eye out is polling in red wall and blue wall seats. Now, I hate these terms so much because they're just they're, they're, they're terms that are too categorical and lumped together sometimes madly diverse seats but they are however locales that things are swinging differently so at the moment in red wall seats votes compared to last time round, labor's up next to nothing the tories are down about two three points but again that's a case of tory voters just either losing faith not wanting to vote or not not sure how they will vote uh next time round but in blue wall seats you're having the labor party up a few points of 2019 you're having the Lib Dems either standing still or up a few points on 2019. And they did the toy vote in these blue wall seats. It's below what they got in 2005. Now, 2005, let's just remember, that was a Labour win. That was the Tory party coming second with 190-something seats. But if they're doing worse today in their own heartlands, their own blue wall seats than they were in 2005. That's what the polling showed currently at the moment. And I would be minded to think that, just to reiterate, on current numbers, they will, we would probably have a hung parliament. Tory's largest major, largest party, obviously, but a hung parliament's not too far off, really. It's so interesting, isn't it? I'm, I'm glad that we asked that question as the final one to leave it on a bit of an exciting cliffhanger. Ben, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. And just a reminder to listeners, um, Ben will be on every month. So send in your questions for him and we'll keep getting updates. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Alva Ray, and my colleague, Ben Walker. We're produced by Adrian Bradley, and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a nice review.